this week on Dig Me Out. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, we have two new union members joining us recently. (laughs) Shout out. Shout out time. Angel V. Jones, welcome. Welcome to the union. Also, people still say shout out. Oh, they do. Is it still a thing? Yes. Okay. It is. I'm bringing it back if it isn't. Um, Martin de Crucier. I think that's how you. I, I think that's how it's. I'm going to say that. That's how you say it. Welcome, Martin. Martin's already been active over at the uh, the Discord page, which is part of the the union uh, benefits. We yes. don't provide health care. We don't provide uh, discounts on any products or schooling or anything like that. But we do give you a Discord channel to talk about music. Well, Martin uh, spurred a whole thread on everybody sharing pictures of their dogs and cats. Yes, which was, was very wholesome. Which was appreciated. Yes. I mean, who doesn't want to see pictures of dogs and cats? Exactly. Exactly. That's that, at the, this um, point, that's like all if I want to follow on social media. <laughs> You're just following uh, uh, the we rate dogs, and Is you know, I have, well, and I have a soft spot for donkeys, so I'll, I'll follow uh, <laughs> donkey right. accounts too. That's true. Um, speaking of donkeys, no, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> um, we had a poll, Jay, recently in February every month. Uh, most recently February, we have a poll and then we give our Patreon community the opportunity to vote on those records. They are suggested at digmeoutpodcast.com. They go into the hopper, the hopper spits them out and people vote. And we had a very contentious uh, voting for this one. It was came down to the wire. It was almost a three-way tie, which would have been unprecedented. We've had two-way ties. Two-way ties are precedented. Three-way tie, unprecedented. Is precedented a word? If something is unprecedented, can't something be precedented? There's a precedent for it. A precedent. I don't know, if you, I don't know that you would say it's precedented. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. I'm making it a thing. So for this poll, As long Jay, as you say it confidently, everybody will be like, yeah, it's a thing. Exactly. Strategery. Um... <laughs> These were the picks. Gary Moran selected Eugenius Uma Lama. Darren Lehman suggested Finger Eleven's Tip. Roy Nerland suggested Neil Young's Sleep with Angels. Matthew Tullock selected Sneaker Pimps Becoming X. Kyle Bittner selected Better Than Ezra's Friction Baby. Matthew Bullis selected The Y Stores, self-titled. Patrick Testa selected Crackers, Gentleman Blues. Roderick Munir suggested Tad's eight-way Santa. And then we had one snake slip past the goalie, Jay. Wax Machine was included, but their album was actually not released in the 90s, so we had to pull it from the poll. Hate to yeah. do that, but... 
And I'm the goalie. So, and you're the goalie. You are the Ron Hextall of the situation, <laughs> and you let it slide right by. So it was. An we caught eight. it. I think within. Um, it was on the line, and you pulled it back. It was like, yeah, just barely there. Um, right, maybe five or ten minutes. <laughs> and uh, somebody, one of our patron or DMO union members on Discord, caught it and flagged me and said, "Hey." <laughs> so we took it out. They snitched. They snitched. So, this, like I mentioned, this was a very tight pull. Uh, starting from the rear end, Y store got nothing. No votes. Not a nip, nip, zip. Nothing. Uh, the uh, the wax machine, it did actually get some votes before it was kicked out. <laughs> um, Neil Young, Sleep With Angels, got one vote. Crackers, Gentleman Blues got four votes. Eugenius got six fingertip fingertip finger 11's tip got seven and then I think the, it's big, the second time that records come up i think you're right been up before so maybe somebody should just make it their 12th month pick right we'd get to it right but it, all tight for the whole race were um coming in at third place two votes behind sneaker pimps sneaker sneaker pimps becoming x i thought that was gonna win it didn't one vote behind the the leader the winner, Tad's Eight-Way Santa. And the winner of this poll, suggested by Mr. Kyle Bittner, better than Ezra's Friction Baby. Jay, are you familiar with the band Better Than Ezra? Yes, I have the, I guess it's, is it the debut, the record before this? That's actually their second record. Okay. This is their third. I think it was a... Um, you know, Columbia House. I got to pick a bunch of records, pick, yeah. and it was like, oh, that song is not terrible. Yeah, I'll pick that record and check it out. So yeah, I own that one. Yes, this is their third record, uh, their debut. Uh, well, let, let me get into this some history here. So people who who maybe are not familiar, history of the band. Uh, they formed in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 1988 there were a four piece to start out it was kevin griffin on vocals and guitar lead guitarist joel rundle bassist tom drummond and drummer carrie bonacase so they played around uh, you know baton rouge um recorded their debut surprise and then sadly um after that debut was released Guitarist Joel Rendell committed suicide and the band sort of took some time off and decided whether they were going to go forward or not. And they decided they would, but they would not replace him and they would go forward as a trio. Um, and so they ended up putting out deluxe on their own because they didn't have a record deal unlike so many bands. So that came out in 1993. It took them a couple of years to sort of get going again. And they put it out on their own on what's called Swell Records. And then um, Electra caught wind of them and released the album again in um, 1995. And that's where we get good, Jay. That's the big thing everybody knows. Good, good. Yes. It was good. And um, there was also another single off that record, In the Blood, was a big single. 
Rosalia was the third single off that record. Three so deep. Af- after that record, the drummer, Corey, left, and he was replaced by Travis McNabb, and that is where we get the album, which we are reviewing, Friction Baby. It's The title comes from a quote by Keith Richards. He was asked how long, how he and Mick Jagger had managed to stay together for so long. And he said, friction, baby. Hmm. Uh, this, it charted uh, two singles, uh, King of New Orleans and Desperately Wanting. Both were charting singles. I believe to like top 50, not like top 10 or anything like that. And this was their... Second release on Electra, they would follow this up in 1998 with How Does Your Garden Grow? That, the Friction Baby made it to number 64 on the US charts. How Does Your Garden Grow made it only to 129. It didn't have any chart and singles. Then they released Closer in 2001 on the label Beyond. Beyond, though, went bankrupt. And so, in the meantime, while they were without a label, they put out a live album. And there was a like rarities album that came out with like B sides and and live material and covers and stuff. And they ended up putting up their next uh, actual album uh, before the robots came out in 2005. That actually charted well. It made it to number 84 in the U.S. rock chart and number three on the U.S. indie chart. That was released on Artemis Records. Then they released Paper Empire in 2009 on Megaforce Records. Jay, you remember Megaforce Records, right? Home yeah. of such artists as Overkill, Testament, yeah. Ministry, Ace Freely, Peter Chris. Yep. I think uh, Eddie Trunk was a and r there. That's how Ace Freely ended up on the label in the 80s. Ah, interesting. But yeah, um, a metal label. Right. There's some oddballs on there, like yep. better than Ezra. But, um, and then in 2014, they released a new record called All Together Now. That was on The End Records. And at the same time, they re-released their original debut album, Surprise, which was a self-release. Uh, they did a reissue of that. And that is the last uh, new material that's come out. They put out some songs here and there. Um, last year they put out a single called in your eyes and in 2018 they put out a single called grateful um kevin griffin has gone on to do songwriting for other folks and in fact um recently taylor swift covered one of their songs and for some charity tv benefit thing like the haiti benefit or something Mm. so and he's he's been a songwriter for a bunch of different folks and so it's gone that route. You know, the the Dan Wilson and yep. uh, other people have done that too from the 90s. So uh, let's get into some comments from this record. Run through them real quick. Jeremy Amend said, tempted to vote for Tad. At least two lawsuits for one album by a barely known band from Seattle. That should add something interesting to discussion. I think there's a lawsuit over the cover that they used. Keith Badge said, I wonder if Better Than Ezra might be a better sophomore slump revisited, though I did vote it, vote for it. Well, it's not a sophomore album there, Keith. It's actually their third record. So we couldn't, it was not considered for that. Although we will have a sophomore slump episode 
coming up soon that was quite the spirited debate <laughs> in our in the comments. Billy Dylan said, "Finger Eleven is my pick, even if it's not everyone's cup o' cheese." Sorry, Willie. Uh, Whitney Buehler said, "I'm agreeing with Willie, going with Finger Eleven." Johnny Hooper, let's go with Eugenius, a Kurt Cobain favorite. Interesting. Eric Peterson, sneaker pimps or Tad? There's something about the sneaker pimps that I hated when they were current, and I disliked that Six Underground song with a passion, and now it's a favorite tune of mine. Interesting. Time has has changed his opinion on that song. Kyle Bittner said, who was the suggester for this record, by the way, Ugh, why did I pick up why, why did my pick end up in such good company? I love my Ezra pick and think that it's a regularly overlooked album. Desperately Wanting and King are radio staples, but there are better songs that deserve success. Rewind, Postmoderns, with that, I'm going to go against my own pick and pick the Sneaker Pimps. <laughs> um, and Patrick Testa chimed in, could Better Than Ezra be one of the last regional rock bands out there? or at least one of the mm. biggest, every time I go to the Big Easy, which I do every five years or so, I'm reminded how popular they are, but I wonder how much they get played in other markets. Maybe I'm out of touch, but I don't think that King of New Orleans got many spins in Ohio when it came out. David Gorgo said, I swear our radio station got a promotional piece of rotten meat to prevent to promote Umalama by uh, Eugenius, so that gets my vote. Interesting pr- promotional item. Some liability there. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Moran says that Eugenius album is really underappreciated. Sean Brown, torn between Tad and Better Than Ezra on this one. That's a solid crock cracker record, and the Eugenius album is pretty deserving too. I'm taking Better Than Ezra just by a nose. I always like Friction Baby better than Deluxe. Good set of tunes front to back. Also harkens back to the days when selling 500,000 records was considered a flop. Madness. <laughs> Yeah, I pointed that out um, in a, you know, I, I'm a writer as well as a podcaster, Jay. I don't know if you're aware of that. Really? And um, we were having discussions about authors who had had a huge debut books. And then, for example, Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, and then it got turned into a movie and it sold millions of copies. And then his second book didn't do as well, but it still sold really well based on his name. It just didn't sell in the same numbers as the first book. So people were like, is he really that good of a writer? And I was like, uh, I used the, the Hootie and the Blowfish, Blowfish example. They sold like 16 million copies of their debut record and then 3 million copies of the follow-up, yeah. which is excellent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but is considered a massive flop. Because of the fact that they sold 16 million on the first record. So it's all relative. Because I would, I've said like 99.9% of bands never sell 3 million records in their career. Yeah. So Patrick Testa said, come on, let's take what we learned from Wall Street bets and finally make those hedge funds pay. Everyone throw an extra vote on the dip and push Wax Machine out of reach for the shyster short (laughs) sellers. Let's go, Diamond Hands. Uh, I don't, I don't know what a half of what he just said. So I'm not in on that stuff. Uh, John Seaman said going with better than Ezra and finger 11, because they're the only two albums I know. I prefer finger 11, 11 actually love that album. Saw them on tour behind this album opening for fuel and creed. LOL. Carl F voted for cracker. Darren Lehman. I was hoping finger 11 would win since that doesn't seem to happen. I'm going, I'm pulling for sneaker pimps. Well, that didn't happen either. 
Richard Waterman said, come on, Finger Levin. Nope. Gavin said, I'm choosing Tad. Sorry. Willie Dillon, better than Ezra. Nothing against them. But even their suggester, the noble Kyle Bittner, didn't vote for them. <laughs> that hap- that, that's not, uh, That happens quite a bit. That's not it rare. It does happen. People get wowed by the other selections. Right. And they go, well, I'm going to vote like, against Damn it. I wish I would have thought of that. I'm voting for it. And Richard Waterman said, better than Ezra, more like better than nothing. No, that's a song by Jennifer Trinan, gentlemen, or sir. <laughs> that is, that's not our, that's not our focus tonight. Which, by the way, I just picked up the seven inch uh, of Jennifer Trinan's Better Than Nothing. So I'm now a Jennifer Trinan completist. I have the wow. albums and the seven inch single, which has a bonus track, which is why I picked it up. It's a picture I, sleeve, Jay. How about that? I, where are you putting all these records? You realize um, you're never going to be able to move now. I built a um, a little case for all my seven inches. Oh my god! Yeah, pretty neat. It's gonna <laughs> it's gonna cost you a fortune if you ever had to move. Never moving. This is this a- is this is my daughter's college education fund. Is that <laughs> when she needs money for college, I'm just gonna sell the record collection. And oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. Well, I mean. I've got like, you know, an original pressing. She going of, to Columbus State? Yeah, exactly. Of of like my bloody Valentine's Loveless repress that is now worth like I bought it for $30 and it's now worth like $200. So I figure based on that incremental increase by the time she gets to college, that record's going to be worth like $7 million. So I'm fine. Math not our good our strong no. point. Uh let's get into this record jay tell me one thing you liked about friction comma baby by better than ezra i was going off memory with this band which you know i had heard them and god knows i don't know how long and um what i remember was more from deluxe than this record although i do remember the the two singles mm-hmm. um so i was surprised this rocks pretty hard. Um, mm-hmm. I think the first three songs in particular are pretty meaty sounding, very punchy, awesome bass tone, very full, sound great live, or uh, loud, um, great guitar tone, just sounds big. A lot of energy in the performance as well. It doesn't sound like kind of a plotting or meandering. I mean, it sounds like they're really, you know, um, you know, playing this live and had a lot of energy behind it. So I was kind of taken aback. I was expecting more of like, um, I don't know, a floaty mid tempo kind of pop record, you know, pop rock record, not like a late era Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not as gritty sounding as this, mm-hmm. particularly as it kicks off sounded. Um, so I was, I was pulled in and kind of perked up uh, in particular, Long Lost is a great rock song. Um, Mm -hmm. It has a little bit of a Bush Machine Head kind of riff going on there, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think that's an awesome riff. Um, It goes into a pretty cool chorus, too, that's fairly unexpected, just the way that they sing that. And even the vocal doesn't sound like what you would expect from them.
I was pleasantly surprised, you know, as I got into this record and as I got through the rest of it, it, you know, for the most part, it held that, that kind of territory where it was, I would say the majority of it maintained that edge, um, that great sound. Um, I think the songwriting is really strong. Um, most of these songs, you are into the hook within 40 seconds. I started counting on them in my notes of like, okay, when does he get to the chorus of the hook here? And it's usually within 40 to 45 seconds you're there, mm-hmm. which is critical um, if you're trying to write pop songs, which, you know, this record is. You know, there's some explorations as well, some things in here that get a little bit all country, which I appreciate. There's some moments where, like happy endings, you get kind of a George Harrison vibe. So you, you get a little bit of their influence and, and sort of like, you know, uh, what they're what, what they're calling back to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's some range. I think the the record ends with a you know very like, and, and there's some notes here and there that are obviously their lyrics or musically references to New Orleans or um, Louisiana. And that last song on the record ends with uh, Che De Gaulle is... I, I think it's Charles De Gaulle. Like, okay. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's not, but... It's kind of a cool like rock tune that has definitely has a, I don't know, a New Orleans vibe to it. I know there's something mm-hmm. about the riff and the way it's constructed that you immediately think of that, even though it's, you know, essentially a rock song. So there's some, pro, some you know, you, you kind of, they've established this rock sound, good song, pop songwriting, get some hooks, and then through the rest of the record, you get some flavor, which is nice. And I think the last thing I'll say that I liked about it, they kind of, they managed to find, despite, you know, the pieces and parts they're putting together aren't, you know, groundbreaking. They're established Mm -hmm. things, you know, but they managed to put it together in a way I think it sounds pretty unique. Like I didn't have a lot of contemporary callbacks or even like, like influence callbacks in my notes. There were a couple moments where I was like, okay, this sounds a little Jim Blossomy, you know. Um, but for the most part, you know, they're they're playing guitar rock as in a pop format and managing to still find like their own unique sound in that, which you know is not easy to do. So that was something else that I ended up you know kind of taking away from this is that I don't remember them being particularly unique in my memory, but mm-hmm. kind of going through this, I was like, yeah, you know what? They, this sounds like its own thing. Like I don't, I'm not distracted by it sounding too overly, you know, um, like it's contemporaries or, or anonymous, I guess is maybe a better way to put it. It definitely sounds like them. Um, right. So yeah, that's some of the stuff that, that I got into. I agree with you on this album has some nice grit to it. Uh, that I was not expecting, uh, particularly in the in the bass tone. There's some yeah. nice grit going on. Um, it's funny you mentioned Long Lost. I, I definitely got that machine head vibe with the guitar riff. It also reminded me of the Wigs. Um, yeah. There was there's that element of like of soul to that yeah. song, yeah. which they did obviously throughout their career in the 90s. And I, I got just a, a little bit of that. And I know that when I was looking through their discography, um, one of the the covers that they did for their compilation album was a Bill Withers cover of uh, "Use Me." So, I mean, they they obviously have 
I'm not uncomfortable tackling like a soul R and B song. Um, I think the thing that I, I knew the singles King of New Orleans and, and desperately wanting, I remember those fairly well. And it was brought up in the comments, whether they got played in Ohio. I know we definitely played them at the radio station. Those were, I mean, good was something that was in rotation for, you know, months. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that that sort of vocal tick that's in that song is not repeated here yeah. because that would have gotten old real quick in the way that like maybe rain made from, uh, you know, our lady peace has sort of, he wore his vocal ticks into the ground to, to a certain extent. Um, and Kevin Griffin sort of like really approaches each song individually and, and gives them interesting melodies and approaches. And like you said, like there, these are very concise, even though this is a 13 track album, it just comes in like around 47 minutes. So there are no like slogs on this record. Uh, there's a few songs that go over four minutes, but that's about it. Um, and I'm glad that they avoid that. Like, uh, like you said, like a lot of this is very up tempo. And when it's not up tempo, there's a, there's definitely a unique vibe to the songs where I'm glad this didn't get like muddied and slowed down in the middle of the record because that would have really soured me. Whereas you, you definitely get a, a nice mix of, of sounds. Um, the, the, I think that them being a regional band, which also Patrick brought up, there's definitely a, an, an element that is regional to this band. That's not easy to put your finger on, but you can kind of tell in some of the playing that there's just a little bit of something going on that you didn't hear in, you know, a a, a mid nineties alt rock band. Yeah. What did you think of, so you mentioned about, you know, sounding like anybody else. I did feel scared or you had a real radio head, the the Benz vibe to me. And that record came out a year prior to this, Hmm. like his vocal phrasing during the chorus reminded me of, of very much of the Benz on that record. And I, it took me like a minute to, or, you know, after a couple of times, I'm like, why does this sound familiar? I'm like, oh, this sounds like the Benz. And, and the Benz had come out a year before they started recording this record. So yeah. I could hear where he might have heard that record and maybe picked up a little bit on the vocal tick for that particular chorus. For the most part, it doesn't sound like a lot of other people. Like he sounds fairly, ind- like individualistic on this record in terms of his his phrasings and his melodies and 
and doing stuff. I don't pick up on him doing things that are blatant rips or anything like that. And I agree with you on the last song. Yeah. I, I really like that riff. I think that's a fun song. Um, I almost wish there was more of that sort of vibe to the record. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of nice too at the, I think it's that song, maybe even speeding up to slow down. The vocals pull back a little bit. Like you get more just music, which kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Like, cause like I said, the record starts really um, pretty sharp in terms of vocals comes in fairly quickly on most of the songs. You get to the hook fairly quickly. So it's kind of nice as you got towards, you know, the end of the record, you end with a little bit more of a music focus. I mean, mm-hmm. he sings in those songs, but it's, just less about the singing, um, which is kind of nice. It's a nice way to just give some flavor variety. Um, and, uh, and also just showcase the band a little bit as they go out, um, in the, you know, the playing as opposed to just the songwriting. I also liked their use of other instrumentation to just accent things like the organ in WWOZ, which is played by Peter, Holesaple, Hole Sapple, um, who was in the DBs, um, and has been, you know, played on a lot of records. Um, he was an extra guitar player, keyboard player for REM. Um, he toured with Hootie and the Blowfish. I mean, he's one of those guys. It's like he's played with a lot of people as a as a extra musician, the Nathan December type guy. Mm-hmm. and um i really like again like it's adding a little bit of extra flavor to the record that is nice there are a couple of spots where they add some things and i'm like i don't this doesn't work for me well let's not let's not get there yet right <laughs> but um a well-placed organ is always especially yes. in like a mid-tempo song if you can add some melody with an organ a great nice. example too is speeding up to slow down. That yep. that simple droning organ at the beginning of that song combined with that bass tone, it just gives it this like almost dark, sinister kind of atmosphere to it. You know, it feels a little ominous mm-hmm. just by those two instruments put together and, and there's a lot of space around it. So yeah, I'm 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 with you on the on the use of the organ here. It's it's pretty subtle, but it, it's a very effective. There's a couple songs that I think are just weak. I think Normal Town is one. Yep. Um, they get weirdly funky 
Wait, what like, is going on with that? I think they're using the the baseball's pedal, maybe. It's like a or some kind of like fuzz modulation on the bass, and it's a kind of a funky bass effect and also part, which yes. I don't know why this band is doing that. Nope. Um, they bring it back too. And then in the middle of the song, you get a flute solo, <laughs> which I'm not a I'm not opposed to a well thought out flute solo. But I, however, dude, when I heard that, I was like, "Holy shit! This is the this is Ron Burgundy." Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the wrong it's the wrong approach. Like that whole song to me is just like a disaster. Yes, um, it's the same thing with uh, "Still Life with Cooley." Yes. <laughs> I don't I there's I don't want that Wawa thing that's no. going on. It's what it's, is he saying? I thought he was saying still life with Kool-Aid. That's what it sounds like. He says Kool-Aid. It's Coolie, which is apparently a name of, of a person. Yeah, like I Cooley don't. High Harmony. It just sounds like jammy. It sounds like a jam band or something. Like a yeah, it sounds like a rejected Black Crow song. Yeah, it's like funky jammy bluesy I, I don't know i just don't want to hear that N- now that i've heard like the the sharper punchier side of this band like that's what i want to hear you know one, one thing we didn't mention about this record too is the drums are you know really punchy you know he's got these big like low-end tom sounds and like you know they're pretty com- the drums i think are pretty compressed so they're like in your face and they just sound big mm-hmm. so when you get into this stuff that's kind of funky jammy wishy-washy like doesn't work Those, I mean, honestly, outside of those two songs, I really like the rest of the record. Yeah. I think all the songs besides those are are good album tracks, and there's solid singles on this record. But those take such wild detours with with the production choices that it's just sort of it's flabbergasting. Um, yeah, and I mean, like WWOZ is. To me, that sounds like uh, it's got a country vibe to it. It's got a little mm-hmm. Americana vibe to it. But when they get to that chorus, you know, it's a straight ahead, you know, big drum sounding chorus. So it all makes sense. Um, I think it's happy endings. It's a little bit more lush acoustic, like, but that's fine. Like that kind of works because um, it still mm-hmm. has that dark feel to it. Yeah, it's when they get into this. I don't know, like jam band concert circuit stuff that, right? Or, or the flute <laughs> that I'm not understanding. Yeah, and I, I, you know, tracks like which are solid album tracks, but like "Hung the Moon," that's where that big drum sound really works. Yeah, he's doing like big fills and and stuff like that, and it's it's got the 
big heavy sound heavy for them but a, a nice heavy sound that um makes sense the production but when you dial it down and do this funky slappy thing it really yeah. accents what is compressed and yeah those those songs threw me for a loop <laughs> big time well, it, when that song starts i mean that could be a wig song from this era from the same era right you know that kind of riff and that drama so it would be the same thing for i think that's a great call out that that band because it'd be the same thing with the wigs like they walk that line of like bring soul into their music but it's done right. in this really dark way that works if they take the step to the other direction and it goes into funky <laughs> then it's like now nah. right. which they never really did on an album they, right. they did mess around with that stuff on like b-sides with covers but they never fully went that far on any album tracks yeah. it still had like a save them it still had like a weird off-kilter darkness to it right even when they did that uh they made it work with the way that he sings and just the way the band plays and i think the same can apply to this band like knowing mm-hmm. when you cross that line over like okay we've we're not interpreting this our intent is not being interpreted correctly here we need to rethink um, some of the ways we're doing presenting these uh, songs or ideas so as mentioned uh jay this album came out in 1996 it did have two singles that uh d- you know they did okay they weren't as big as good i mean that's that's a hard act to follow. Good went number one on the U.S. modern rock chart. Went to number three on the U.S. mainstream chart. I mean, that's U.S. mainstream. That's where like pop music is clashing with rock music. And it made it to number 17 on the U.S. pop chart, which not a lot of rock bands make it onto the pop chart at all, let alone to uh, the top 20. It also charted in Australia, Canada, the UK. This album, however, King of New Orleans, that made it to number, actually made it to number five on the US modern chart and number seven on the US main chart. It didn't chart in the pop charts. Desperately Wanting did. It made it to number 33, although it didn't do as well on the mainstream or or modern charts. So they, they did have some success with these songs it just the um the sales didn't add up the same way that they did with deluxe in terms of album sales they went uh platinum uh deluxe did and friction baby did not so when we were mentioning that 500,000 mark that's what was talked about in the comments so yeah, i i think this record would have needed well i think had they led with Desperately Wanting, that probably would have helped. I like King of New Orleans a lot, but I don't know that it's as strong as a follow-up to the to the prior record. I think that would have helped. And it's probably just looking at how other bands were able to uh, follow up big records, it usually required like a crossover ballad on the second record. <laughs> like they needed their um, Iris. Cut, yeah, something that could just cut through to the mainstream, like very clearly, cleanly, mm-hmm. which the striker doesn't really have one of those. So that's probably why. But I mean, they're not alone. <laughs> you know, there's a, the majority of bands do not 
that do are lucky enough to have one big record um, don't do it again. So this came awfully close, and it maybe did. they could maybe they could have remixed it, not remixed it, but you know, shuffled some things around and got closer. But yeah, it wasn't going to be the same. So. Where do you land? Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? I'm at a worthy album. I really only have two tracks on here that I don't like. And they are, um, you know, pretty pretty far off the script. Yeah. You know, it's not like some records where we review and you're like, oh, you know, there's these and then there's another three. And then there's, it's really like, well, we got 13 tracks here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 11 of them are, I think, really strong. I, I 100% agree with you. You just drop Normal Town and Still Life with Cooley, and this is a really, really good record. Still Life with Kool-Aid. Still Life with Kool-Aid. <laughs> That's my first note on that. In quotes, still life, in, still life with Kool-Aid? Question mark. Yeah, what is this? Some sort of William Burroughs chopped up... Uh, <laughs> refrigerator magnet lyric stuff going right. on here well there you go two worthy albums i don't know if people were expecting that from us but guess what that's what happened and uh we need to thank kyle bittner who although he didn't vote for his record we thank him for suggesting this record <laughs> uh, wow you, maybe you, you second guessed yourself yeah maybe you know last year we did a couple of second chance records yeah, when we had time at the end of the year, maybe Sneaker Pimps will or Tad will make it into a second chance episode because it was so. We like to take the really close polls and 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 do that. We'll see. It might yeah. happen. It might not. We don't know. No idea. We'll see how many leftover episodes we have at the end of the year. That's how this works. Um, need to thank all of our suggestors, and if you would like to suggest an album, go to digmeoutpodcast.com. Go to the Suggest an Album page and drop your suggestion in there. It's also where you can go to sign up for the Box newsletter, which is delivered each weekend to your email inbox. It's also available at Patreon, which you can join for just a buck or two. Is it two bucks? Two bucks a month? Something like that. It's the the cost of like a, a pack of Big League Chew, folks. I mean... It's a, a, a pack of a, a, a six pack of nerds going through all the things that were available at my 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 little league concession stand uh, in in 1983 when I played t ball. Uh, what else was there? Was candy cigarettes? Basically anything that rec- looked like tobacco but was in candy form for kids. That's yeah. that would be what it would cost. Big league chew was the best. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Um, you got to pace yourself, though. You really wanted to take that big, that big ball of it, like the whole Sho- thing, shove it in, and you'd waste, you know, the whole pack because then you can chew it. You're like, oh, I can't. My jaw hurts. Right, and it would lose all its flavor, and you just have this right. big <laughs> wad of rubber in your in your mouth, and it was horrifying. Those first couple seconds were amazing, though. Oh no! Oh, they were great. <laughs> it was great. Uh, <laughs> And then if you uh, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode 
of Dig Me Out. I remember running through the wet grass, falling a step behind. Both of us never tired, desperately wanted. When they pumped out your gun.